following program is in English. Thank you. To life. You're tuned in to L'Chaim, to life, with your host, Morris Klein, who just happens to be my baby brother. Shalom Aleichem, Shalom Aleichem, welcome back to L'Chaim, to life, Jewish life and more. Some very pleasing news yesterday. The happiest man on earth, the late Eddie Jakku, OAM 101, is going to be given a most befitting, beautiful send-off with a state funeral. Well done to Premier Dominic Perrottet and the New South Wales Government. Again, we have very little time for a lengthy intro. Is civil war coming to Lebanon in the Middle East? You're tuned into L'Chaim, Two Life, Jewish Life and more here on 92.3 FM, 3 triple Z. At the beginning of September, our guest on L'Chaim was Lieutenant Colonel Reserve Sarit Zahavi, CEO and founder of ALMA, an independent NGO research and education centre in the Galilee, dedicated to researching the security challenges on Israel's northern borders and educating opinion makers. Sarit served 15 years in the IDF, specialising in military intelligence. We spoke at length about America's withdrawal from Afghanistan, the implications for Israel and the Middle East, also discussing Iran, Hezbollah, and Lebanon imploding. A week or so after our interview, Sarit was named in the Jerusalem Post's list of top 50 most influential Jews of 2021 as the woman explaining the Hezbollah threat to the world. Since our interview with Sarit, the situation in Lebanon has continued to deteriorate with major developments in the past week or two in the streets of Beirut. So overnight, I asked Sarit to join us again. On Lachaim, sooner than anticipated, for an insight into the situation in Lebanon. Lieutenant Colonel Zarit Zahabi, welcome back to L'Chaim to Life. Thank you. Zarit, first things first, muzzle tov for the acknowledgement by the Jerusalem Post and being included in their 50 most influential Jews of 2021. Most definitely well-deserved. Thank you. Actually, it was a huge surprise for me. Terrific. <laughs> Zarit, as I indicated in the introduction, the situation in Lebanon continues to go from bad to worse economically and with civil unrest. There have been ongoing demonstrations in the streets of Beirut with much loss of life and injury. Please take us through the latest developments. What precipitated all these latest demonstrations? Well, we've seen demonstrations in the past two years. Actually, it's exactly two years since the demonstrations and, and protests against the Lebanese government had started. And last Thursday, I think, things escalated. And what we have seen is a clash between Hezbollah operatives, some of them actually military combatants of Hezbollah, and uh, Christian operatives of uh, one of the Christian parties that are the main opponents to Hezbollah in Lebanon. Uh, their leader is Samir Jaja, which is well known from the civil war uh, in Lebanon. We don't exactly understand who started, but actually it doesn't matter. Bottom line is that they ended up with six persons that were killed and about 60 that were wounded. It escalated the situation because it was shooting with fire, with guns and RPGs, and schools had to be evacuated. People were running in the streets in fear, coming out of Beirut that day. The feeling was very troubling because the feeling was that the culture of the civil war didn't disappear. Everybody has their weapons, everybody has their military equipment, and everybody is prepared for the next war, even though nobody is interested in the next war. After the, the incident, 
what Hezbollah has done is opening a campaign against Samir Dajjaj, against the leader of the Christians that attacked Hezbollah, comparing him to Hitler, saying he wants to deteriorate Lebanon to another civil war. And saying in yesterday's speech that Hezbollah has 100,000 soldiers ready to fight if they're needed, saying that these soldiers were trained to fight against Israel, but if needed, they are willing to fight against Lebanese, actually, against these Christians. So that's why the situation is that there is kind of an escalation, and the question would be, where is the Lebanese army? So during the clashes, the Lebanese army interfered and actually helped in calming things down. But there are videos of Lebanese army soldiers also shooting uh, the rioters, so it's a question, what will happen next with the Lebanese army that until today was viewed as neutral and impartial player in Lebanon. And by the way, maybe even the only and the last sign of uh, sovereignty of Lebanese government that was left in this state with no state or land with no land, as our ex-general Raful wrote in his book about Lebanon. What brought about the demonstrations in the first place to do with the investigation, the explosion yes. in Beirut? Yes, last year there was a huge explosion in Beirut. Half of the city was destroyed. The Beirut uh, seaport was destroyed. The judge who is investigating what has happened there issued warrants to arrest uh, seniors in the Lebanese politics. And Hezbollah is totally against that. Hezbollah is claiming that these warrants and the judge is actually politicizing the interrogation. And he's doing what America is telling him, and America is interfering in the investigation. And this feels like actually Hezbollah has something to hide, because nobody blamed Hezbollah until now, and Hezbollah is doing everything it can to stop the investigation. So the families of the victims of the blast are supporting, most of them, almost all of them, are supporting the judge, want the judge to continue to interrogate. Of course, the Christians of Samir Jaja want the interrogation to continue, and Hezbollah wants it to stop and actually trying to delegitimize the activities of the judge. This is all about that, but of course it exemplifies a much greater situation in Lebanon, lack of sovereignty of the country. The interesting thing is that the Lebanese prime minister announced yesterday that the government will not have another meeting until there will be an agreement about the future of this investigation. What will happen now? Can the judge arrest these Lebanese leaders that it want to arrest or interrogate them? Or Hezbollah will continue to stop the interrogation and investigation as it already did. If you remember, there was an international tribunal about the murder of the previous prime minister Hariri in 2005. And Hezbollah over there again did everything it can to sabotage the investigation and it succeeded eventually. It ended with nothing. So everybody feel like it's the same situation now. So Hezbollah's desire to have the judge removed has been rejected by the government, has it not? Meanwhile, it was rejected. But they, but in Lebanon, every decision, since there is such a diversity between the Lebanese leaders and, and in the Lebanese society, the tradition is that every decision is accepted in an agreement between everybody. And they just fail to agree upon anything, by the way, not only about that. So that's why uh, the new prime minister said, okay, I'm waiting for, for that we'll succeed in making an agreement. And meanwhile, with all of that in the background, you have a huge uh, economic crisis in Lebanon where people don't have enough food, not enough medicines, not enough oil or energy, electricity. Uh, last week we had a day that all Lebanon was dark, was in the dark because there was not enough fuel. And Hezbollah, again, trying to make a lemonade out of the lemon and is smuggling oil from Iran through Syria into Lebanon, something that it had done constantly in the past few years. 
But no, it has published that and said, we will rescue Lebanon. We will provide Lebanon with the oil it lacks. But actually, it cannot provide that much of oil and Lebanon needs, you know, uh, a legitimate and a constant supply of energy, uh, not from Iran, which is smuggling and, you know, Hezbollah is bringing what it can, but it's not enough. Regular supplies. It sounds like a complete bullet gun. So Hezbollah's claims of 100,000 soldiers, armed fighters, do you perceive that to be correct, accurate? No, that's too much. Okay. (laughs) But the Christian situation is weakened substantially. The Lebanese army, approximately 85,000 untested soldiers. Could there be a civil war? Could Hezbollah, they're in control of the government, they're in control of most of the ministries in the government. Could they take over uh, Lebanon quickly if they desire? Very little uh, amount of experts uh, succeeded in predicting uh, civil wars and revolutions in the past. Right. If I'm looking at Turkey, if I'm looking at Iran, if I'm looking at the Arab Spring, nobody succeeded in predicting this. So I will try to be very careful. I used to say during the years that the Lebanese greatest fear is another civil war, since they already experienced two of them. And the last one uh, lasted 15 years and actually destroyed Lebanon, of course, also with the interference of Israel during the civil war. Since it is their greatest fear, they were willing during the years to have lots of compromises with Hezbollah that due to the agreement that ended the previous civil war was the only militia that was allowed to keep its arms after the civil war. And eventually, uh, today, I feel that this evaluation of the situation is changing because those who went to the streets and we saw them armed with RPGs and full military equipment of soldiers wearing civilian clothing, but the military equipment on top didn't experience the civil war. They are the younger generation. And uh, for them, the civil war is presented as the days of glory that the Christians could stand still against Hezbollah. And I think they are less afraid of any deterioration. So I guess that we will not be able to predict the moment that Lebanon will completely collapse. But I can say that the risk of civil war today is more clear than it used to be in the past because we see that everybody's armed. We see that the the gaps are getting wider. We see that these young people have nothing to lose. They cannot get out. And those who can't get out of Lebanon are getting out of Lebanon. It's not hunger in Lebanon, but they don't have enough food. They don't have enough medicines. They don't have enough energy. They don't have any prospect of future. And I think that eventually the leaders, those who experience the civil war from both sides, may end up in a situation that they will not be able to control the height of the flames and to stop the deterioration in the streets. Meanwhile, the Lebanese army is holding up. The situation there is not very good as well because soldiers' salaries became almost nothing and there is not enough food even in the army. Very, uh, very, very scary situation. Sarit Elma came out recently with a report uh, into Hamas now establishing a serious presence in Lebanon. Please take us through that. And how does Israel factor this situation in as well? So look, again, to all this chaotic situation, we actually add in another layer. And this layer is first and foremost based on the Palestinian refugees that are living in Lebanon for decades. And it's always awkward to me to say refugees because it's around three or four generations of Palestinians that left or were expelled 
from Israel, Palestine in 47 and came to Lebanon and they are still living in refugee camps. They still didn't receive a citizenship in Lebanon. For example, they are not entitled to any property or education or a vote or, you know, anything that any civilian can actually get. It's less than 200,000 that are spreading around 10 refugee camps in different places in Lebanon. Some of them are also in the South. Hamas took advantage of that And, and made the decision with the support of the Iranians and maybe even with the encouragement of the Iranians to establish a military capability in Lebanon to create another front, not only from Gaza, but also from Lebanon. And what we had found was the action plan of Hamas, how to do it. Recruit the personnel, bring the ammunition, build the headquarters, creating a manufacturing unit for the rockets, etc. And all of that, and of course, building two operational units that will be responsible for training the, the personnel and, and the combatants or terrorists. This is a very ambitious action plan. But as far as we have seen, and as far as we understand, at least part of it, and maybe even most of it, actually happened two years ago. We don't have the, all the information of, for example, how many rockets do they have? We don't know that. But we do understand that they succeeded in creating a military infrastructure uh, and empowerment of Hamas in Lebanon because they realized it in the past few months uh, launching rockets to Israel. I don't know if uh, all our listeners are aware of that, but since last May, during the Guardian of the Walls in Gaza and also afterwards, we had alerts in, in the north and rockets were launched from Lebanon uh, to the north, each time few rockets, and they were launched by Hamas in Lebanon. And eventually Hezbollah itself probably understood that this is not right because the protector of Lebanon is Hezbollah, it's not Hamas. And uh, eventually Hezbollah also launched a rocket shooting against Israel to deliver a message to the Lebanese, not to the Israelis. I am the one who should launch rockets to Israel, not Hamas. So that way you understand what's the power of Hamas in Lebanon, what it had become. All right, Sarit, one last question. Iran now has two proxies in Lebanon. Is Hamas, which is Sunni, a threat to the uh, Shiite Hezbollah? Or is it the enemy of my enemy is my friend and they are now working together? Look, uh, it's a very popular sentence, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. But I think that it's simplifying the reality in the Middle East to use this sentence. Because, yes, sometimes the enemy of my enemy is my friend and sometimes not. And sometimes it's much more complicated than that. What I can say very clearly is that, yes, Sunnis and Shiites are killing each other in various places in the Middle East. And there is rivalry between Saudi Arabia and Iran. But both sides need to create an ideology that will mobilize masses. And an ideology that mobilizes masses is the hate uh, to Israel, is the ideology of Palestine, is the ideology of we are coming to uh, rescue Jerusalem or they are saying Al-Aqsa. In this sense, they can draw support and take people out to the streets. So they collaborate on that. They share interests, even though in some places they are killing each other. Here they collaborate. And I think there is mutual interest to Hamas and to Iran to create that uh, front of Hamas in Lebanon for Iran to have redundancy, not only Hezbollah, but also another organization from Lebanon, another threat to Israel. And to Hamas, Iran is the one with the uh, army in Hamas in the past few years and completely changing the, the scope of its capabilities. Hamas of today is different than Hamas that used to be in 2014. 
So definitely there is also an interest for Hamas there. A lot to be concerned about. Sarit Sakhavi, who according to the Jerusalem Post is one of the top 50 most influential Jews of 2021, the woman explaining the Hezbollah threat to the world. Thank you for your time and thank you for joining us again on Lachaim with your important insight and knowledge. Yasha Koyach to you. Let's have you back in a month or two for a further update. No problem. Thank you so much. Stay well. I should let our Lachaim listeners know they can and should sign up to the Alma newsletter at www.alma-israel.org. And you can follow Alma on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Thank you again, Sarit. We'll have you back soon. By the way, our Mythbuster man, David Schulberg, has an article in the Spectator Australia Online, Flat White, about the pro-Palestinian lobby here in Australia. It is a must-check it out. Well done, David. Right, you'll find in about 15 minutes to half an hour a recording of tonight's Lachaim program at 3zzz.com.au. Click on the down arrow in the Listen to a Show square and scroll down to the Jewish group. You'll find it there. Links to YouTube recordings of tonight's interviews will be posted to the Lachaim and Morris Klein Facebook pages tomorrow. Lachaim podcasts are also available at JWire, Digital Jewish News Daily for Australia and New Zealand. Please check out the other two programs that make up the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. The Hebrew Hour, Shabbat Shalom, 3pm on Friday, and the Yiddish Hour, 11am on Sunday. If you'd like to contact us here at Lachaim, our email is lchaim3zzz at gmail.com. For only $16, please consider becoming a member of the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. And for seniors, it's just $11. Again, Click on 3zzz.com.au. Many thanks again to Team Lachaim, Dr. George Banky, the executive producer, Dr. Maury Frankel, and Jeff Deegan. Well, Captain Kirk, a.k.a. William Shatner, finally got beamed up good and proper. And when he landed back on terra firma, he couldn't hold back his emotions. Along with our beautiful planet Earth, perhaps he saw some interplanetary craft. So tonight, we will close with a few words from our interplanetary hero. So thank you for tuning in and please join us again next week on L'Chaim. My name is Morris Klein. I'm Yisrael Chai and peace. I shall be entranced by the view of space. I want to look at that orb and appreciate its beauty and its tenacity. And it looks like there's a great deal of curiosity about this fictional character, Captain Kirk, going into space. So let's go along with it and enjoy the ride. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds to seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Space! 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 Give him a smack, we'll slap him right back in the face.
This experience has been something unbelievable. I'm going to cry. You're going to watch a grown man cry. What you have given me is the most profound experience I can imagine. I'm so filled with emotion about what just happened. I, I just, it's extraordinary, extraordinary. I hope I never recover from this. I hope that I can maintain what I feel now. I, I don't want to lose it. Telepath messages through the vast unknown. Please close your eyes and concentrate with every thought you think upon the recitation we're about to sing. Calling occupants of interplanetary craft. Calling occupants of interplanetary most extraordinary craft. Calling occupants of interplanetary craft. Give us a sign that we reach 
and transmit thought energy far beyond the norm. You close your eyes, you concentrate, together that's the way to send a message we declare.